Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning again. Just want to remind you, you know, we're in this series called The Book of James. We're studying the Book of James. We're studying it on Sunday mornings. We're, we're encouraging you to get a James uh, journal devotional so you can spend some time reflecting on what you're learning, so you can take sermon notes, so you can join a life group and go through the life group stuff together, as well as just have some action steps at the end. So please pick up a Book of James uh, this after, as soon as you leave the service day. And, and regards to life groups, life groups very simply are small groups of adults who get together to build community, to study the Bible, to encourage one another and support one another. So, so join a life group. You can go onto our website, valleybrook.cc. You go to the ministry page, click on that, and there's a drop down to life groups. You can find out where all of our life groups are, what days, what times, what locations they meet. If you can't find one, call us or email us and we will help you find a way that you can study this with us. So, Let's pray, and I'm going to jump into our message. Father, we thank you that you are here. Lord, we have given you our love. We've, we've told you that we love you in, in our thoughts and our words as we've raised our voices to sing worship to you. And so now we're going to turn our attention to your word. And Lord, we love you. We love you. That means we love your word, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was thinking about it this week, and as you and I know that uh, there's been a lot going on this week in the Senate hearings regarding the uh, Supreme Court justice. And, and, you know, yesterday we were at the men's retreat and we were talking about character. And and I realized that uh, a big part of what this whole thing is about is about the character of two people. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just trying to share their story and, and defend themselves. And, and uh, you know, I actually found myself praying for them this morning, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Ford and, and Judge Kavanaugh. Um, and, and, you know, because really, isn't it crazy when you realize that two people are just telling their story have to hire security to protect themselves and their families in this country? What have we become to? But I think about this. We started planning this series uh, back in the spring. And God knew that today we would be in the start of the second chapter of James, at least for this body of of believers. And God knew what was going to go on this past week and what's going to continue into next week. And and there's a message in in this chapter that we all need to hear and it needs to become imprinted on our brains. And it's really the last phrase of this section of scripture that we're going to look at because it applies to what's been going on and it applies to our lives and it applies to how we live our lives and the phrase is this mercy triumphs over judgment mercy triumphs over judgment so this morning we're going to look at that whole concept and um, I want to begin with a story. It's not my story. It's a story by Bob Goff. I've told you about Bob Goff. He's an author. He's a lawyer. He's the honorary counsel to, for the Republic of Uganda to the United States. And uh, 
Before I share uh, his story, I'll give you a little background about the country of Uganda. Um, the country of Uganda uh, is a country that uh, has people that openly practice witchcraft. Uh, they have witch doctors. And um, they hold great power over many people, and they commit atrocities without consequence because people are afraid of them. Some of those atrocities... Uh, grotesquely involved murdering people and harvesting their organs for witchcraft. Uh, in fact, in 2012, it said that there were over 3,000 children who were abducted and murdered for that very cause. Um, I give you that background. I know it's a, a little unsettling, but you'll understand in a few moments. So Bob Goff writes this story about this real-life experience he had as the honorary counsel to the Republic of Uganda. And he tells a story, he says, Kabi was the head of all of the witch doctors in his region of northern Uganda. He was about my age. He had no hair on his head, no stubble on his face, and no smile. He was, it was like all the hate in his life congregated on his face. It was worn and it was stern, and his bloodshot eyes had a yellowish hue. Kabi was the most evil person I've ever met. An eight-year-old boy who we'll call Charlie was walking home from school when Cobby abducted him. Cobby took Charlie into the bush, cut off his privates, and left him for dead. But Charlie didn't die. Cobby was arrested a short time later, and for the first time in Uganda's history, one of the leaders of the witch doctors was in custody, and a victim had lived and was willing to testify. Bob says, once I heard about Charlie, I immediately jumped on a plane. And when I landed in Uganda, I drove several hours into the bush to meet Charlie for the first time. Charlie was dressed in loose clothing and he looked down and he didn't want to make eye contact with me. He had been through much and it showed. Earlier that day, Charlie had gone to the prison and he had identified his attacker in a lineup from a distance. After my first encounter with Charlie, I went to meet with the high court justice to ask if he would be willing to have the case against Kabi brought to trial in his court. This would be Uganda's first case in which the death penalty was being sought against a witch doctor. It was uncharted territory. It might work. And it might be a total failure. You, you see, the power of witch doctors gripped the entire country with fear. The day finally arrived for the trial to begin. Cobby arrived in chains, guarded by soldiers. Charlie came into the room and he went to the stand and he told his story. He told the truth as he was told to tell it. And he was asked about what happened. This eight-year-old kid stood up and he pointed at Kabi and he said, that's the man who tried to kill me. The courtroom was silent as everyone witnessed his courage. Without flinching, Charlie gave the details of what happened to him. And when Charlie finished giving his testimony and had answered all the questions and the cross-examinations, he got off the stand. He looked exhausted but unshaken. This was the first time since the attack that he had been this close to Kabi. I took Charlie outside and I told him how proud I was of him. 
I said, Charlie, you were brave. You were courageous. And you weren't afraid. And a small smile spread across his face. The trial took the rest of the week. A short time after the trial ended, the judge's guilty verdict was told. In Uganda, once the judge signs the verdict, the custom is to break the pen and throw it off the table. And then the judge says with unmatched finality, what's been done today will never be undone. The word of Kabi's conviction went out to 41 million Ugandans. The courage of a four-foot-tall boy had changed the history of an entire nation. We had done it. The very first witch doctor conviction in Ugandan history. Now think about this. Up to this point in Ugandan history, the people of the country showed favoritism to witch doctors. Granted, it was favoritism based on fear and self-preservation, but it was favoritism nonetheless. Regardless of what it was based on, this favoritism was wrong and justice was not being served until Charlie spoke out. Today we're going to go into the second chapter of James and in it, it talks about favoritism. It talks about how Christ followers, people who believe in Jesus, are supposed to not show favoritism. So let's go to the next first point and it's this, show no favorites. Show no favorites. So if you've got a Bible or the Bible app, turn to James chapter 2. We're going to read the, the first four verses. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is describing a scenario that happened in a church gathering. And he's calling out the behavior of his brothers and sisters who are honoring certain people with favoritism and dishonoring other people by showing no favoritism. It's not about showing favoritism to either one. He uses this illustration of showing favoritism to people who are rich versus those who are poor. And he calls out the discrimination and he calls out the passing judgment that's going on. James called them out because of this. They practiced favoritism toward the rich. And that's inconsistent with faith in following our Lord Jesus Christ, who died not for the rich people, but for all people all people. They say that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, mean, meaning that we all come to Jesus on equal terms. It doesn't matter what it has, what our resume has, what our bank account says, how we live, you know, with whatever material things we have or don't have. He died for all of us. But here's the deal. James was calling them out because they continued to practice 
favoritism. And so they could not claim truly to be followers of Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ abolished partiality. God practices no partiality. So surely he could not tolerate such actions among his children, his sons and daughters. There's a wide difference separating the faith they professed from their actual way of living. You know, James is about living what you believe. So let me ask you this. If we look at this warning to those Christ followers that James was writing to, what would that warning be to us? Would he challenge us as a church? Would he challenge us as individual followers of Jesus and ask us, are we showing favoritism to people? And then he would say, listen, I don't want you to show favoritism to people of one race or the other. I don't want you to show favoritism to people of one economic class or another. I don't want you to show favoritism to people of different political views or another. I don't want you to show favoritism to the people who agree with your politics and not to the people who don't agree with your politics. I want you to love them all. He would say, I don't want you to show favoritism to people of one sexual orientation to another. He would say, I don't want you to show favoritism to people of one faith or another. I don't want you to show favoritism to anybody because we're all on equal footing. We're not supposed to make differences in in the way what people believe and what people do. We're supposed to love them all just like he loves us. We're not supposed to play favorites. I think we learned that in kindergarten, didn't we? Yeah, but we still struggle with it. The big picture is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to treat all people with the same kindness, with the same love, with the same compassion that he treats us with. And then James sort of narrows his focus to one group of people that he's already talked about. And he talks about valuing the poor. Valuing the poor. Let's read what he says, beginning in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Isn't it cool to hear how the half-brother of Jesus talks about his his half-brother Jesus? That tells us something about his faith in Jesus being the Messiah. So let's go back to what he's saying here. When you see in verse 5, what you see there is is God's heart for the poor. And that's something that doesn't just show up here in James. It shows up in the teachings of Jesus. It shows up in in the teaching in the Old Testament. You know, it's from cover to cover in Scripture. In the book of Proverbs, it says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I suspect when James was talking about this, he remembered what his brother had said. And and Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, as James said, God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith 
and to inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him. Now, it's not that the poor are being favored. What God wants us to see through James is that the poor have a special place in his heart. As one writer has said, the poor God blesses are those who, whose poverty is primarily to be poor in spirit because often those who are economically poor are better placed than the wealthy to understand God's purposes. They are more likely than the rich to realize their need for God. That's so important for us to understand because, you know, once we realize that we need God, that's really saying that we're poor in spirit. And what he's saying is, you know, for those who don't have material things to rest on and to trust in the poor, they figure that out so much sooner. And we live in a culture where we have a lot of things and we struggle to depend on God. And that's something that we have to wrestle with personally. Are we depending on God? And then how are we caring for those in need? Following God's heart includes caring for the poor. So we have to ask ourselves, what's our attitude toward the poor? How, how does that affect how we care and treat the poor? What is our gut reaction? You know, here's the deal. When we, when we help anybody, we're not going in to fix them, to show them how they should live or what they should do. As followers of Christ, we need to go in and say, listen, I want to hear your story. I, I want to tell you about Jesus' love for you. I, I want to be there. I want to help you. And if you're not ready to do that, then don't do it, okay? All right? But it's walking with Jesus into that situation to help. Loving without conditions. Now, from talking about the poor, then James goes into this section. I call it uh, keep the royal rule. Um, so let's look at the next couple of verses. James writes, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become, an, a, law, you've become a lawbreaker. I want you to see what he's saying here. James keeps reinforcing don't play favorites. That breaks God's law. And when we break one of God's laws, you break all of them. James wants us to see you can't compartmentalize keeping the laws, keeping some and breaking others. Breaking one breaks them all. But let's go back to verse six, eight, because verse eight is the key verse. You know, if you're familiar with the story of the person who asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And a second one is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. James calls it the royal law. Another passage is called the golden rule. But it's a powerful message. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, you are doing right. This, is, this was a key attribute of Christ followers in the early church. You know, that's honestly, uh, you look at 
what God was doing through the church, empowering by their spirit. And when they loved their neighbor as themselves, the church didn't just survive. It thrived. And it spread. It spread illogically. It shouldn't have thrived. It should have not survived. It should have just flamed out very quick. But why? Because God told them that they are supposed to love their neighbor as themselves. And he told us the same thing. Just a quick history lesson. You, you know, Christianity was, was born out of uh, people who were raised in Judaism. Judaism was a small uh, religion in a small country Israel, in the corner of the Roman Empire, the, the Roman Empire was this massive uh, geographical and political and religious entity that basically governed the known world. And they had their own religious to their religion to their uh, pagan gods. And they had their own uh, military might that really ruled everything, even Jerusalem. You read about that when you read the story of Jesus in the Bible. And so logically speaking, you know, uh, this shouldn't have happened because this all-powerful empire had this one little corner that uh, wouldn't submit to following the religion of the empire. They followed God, the God of the Bible. And out of this little group, this little country, and these followers of God of the Bible, out of Judaism, a bunch of people met Jesus and realized that he was the Messiah who was foretold, and they began to follow him and when they followed him, it wasn't called Christianity at that time. It was called the way because they began to follow his way of teaching. And what he said was, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they began to love people as they love themselves. And they began to share that, not just in Jerusalem, but also in the Roman Empire. And yes, they were persecuted. They were persecuted in Jerusalem and in Israel, and they were persecuted in the entire Roman Empire. But what they did was they loved people as they loved themselves. They cared for the sick and dying when nobody else would. Uh, they cared for people uh, during the, the great persecutions and during plagues. And they were the people who would stay while everybody else fled. And people would say, why do you do that? And then we'd tell them about Jesus and how he had changed their lives. They were living out the royal rule loving their neighbor as they love themselves. Think about this. What would happen in your homes if you love the people in your home like you love yourself? You know how to love yourself. What if you loved the people in your homes like you love yourself? What if you loved the, the neighbors on your street like you love yourself? What would happen if you love the people in the community that you live in like yourself, regardless of their politics, their socioeconomics, uh, their orientations, uh, their, regardless? What, what would happen if you loved uh, the people at work like you love yourself? What would happen in, in your school, in your classrooms, if you loved your, your peers or your teachers like you love yourself? You, you know... Christ followers have this mandate in Scripture, and if we would follow it, it would change the world. We should all say, let it begin with me. I'm going to begin to love others like I love myself. 
Now, James concludes this section of teaching with something I call uh, delighting in showing mercy. Delighting in showing mercy. So let's see what he says. Verse 12 and 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Just like James said in verse 1, excuse me, in chapter 1, verse 25, the law that gives freedom is the law of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So picking up on his half-brother's teaching, Jesus warns that those who show no mercy will receive none in the final judgment because they're not truly followers of Jesus. They, they haven't truly said, I will follow him and live my life according to his way. Stated positively, what James is saying is mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this doesn't mean we receive mercy from God only when we show mercy to others. If that were true, it would mean that our salvation was a matter of God's payment for our good deeds. And that's not how we receive eternal life and salvation. For those who have given themselves to faith in Christ, God's mercy triumphs over their guilt and judgment. So if you received God's grace, you stand in front of him at the coming judgment. And he says, what sin? You're forgiven. You've received his grace. When we don't show favoritism, when we don't care for the poor, when we don't love others like we want to be loved ourselves, we're not being merciful. But when we do those things, we are being merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me go back to Cobby's story. It's actually Bob's story with Cobby. After Cobby was convicted and sent to jail, Bob writes, Something happened that I never expected. I started wondering about Cobby. He said, you know, every fiber of my being wanted Cobby to rot in jail, that, in the jail that would be the, his home for the rest of his life. You know, and I was okay with that, he said. But my heart felt dark when I thought about Cobby. It, it felt far from God and I didn't like it. In a moment of candor, he said, you know, it's a lot easier to agree with Jesus than to do what Jesus says. The command to love your enemies is a good example. He said, the truth is, I don't want to love mine. My enemies are creepy. They, they are mean and uncaring. They're selfish and full of pride. And some try to hurt little kids. He said, the minute Cobby attacked Charlie, Cobby became my enemy. He wasn't a little evil. He was pure evil. And it's easy to talk a good game about loving your enemies until you have one. I realized that if I wanted big things to happen in my life, I needed to take bigger steps and risk more than I had before. So I decided to visit Cobby in prison. 
Cobby entered the dark room where I was waiting. When he entered, he knelt and he told me how bad he felt about what he had done to Charlie. Skeptical, I thought he was just sorry because he got caught and was being punished. He told me what it was like growing up the son of a witch doctor and what witchcraft had done to him growing up the son of a witch doctor. Then he said something that stunned me. He said, I know I'm going to die here. What I really need is forgiveness. Pop says the words hung in the air. Forgiveness for a witch doctor who tried to sacrifice Charlie? My immediate reaction was absolutely not. He tried to kill the little boy I love. But something inside me had started to change. The change hadn't been nearly fast enough, but nevertheless, it was happening. And I didn't see a killer in front of me. I felt like I was looking at a criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And I thought of the words Jesus spoke to that criminal. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Cobby and I talked for a while about his family and what was important to him. I talked about my family and what was important to me. We talked about what I was learning but didn't still have figured out about love and grace and forgiveness and Jesus. And then something happened that will forever shape my understanding about the things Jesus talked about. Cobby said he wanted to put his faith and his life into the strong and kind arms of Jesus. He came to Christ. But in a way, he writes, I was coming to Christ again because I was moving away from just agreeing with Jesus to actually doing what he said when he talked about loving your enemies. Folks, we have a merciful God who loves us so much that he wants to save us to be with him forever. All of humanity deserves judgment, but his mercy triumphs over judgment. And, and if we know his mercy triumphs over judgment, then we need to do more than just agree with that statement. We need to live it out in our relationships. You know, you can't know that mercy triumphs over judgment unless you've decided to believe in Jesus Christ and experienced his mercy. So before I, I conclude today's service, I, I want to give anybody the opportunity to say, you know what, I've really never told Jesus I believe in him and want to follow him. I'm going to give you that opportunity today. And I'm going to give you some words to pray. And, and very simply, there's nothing magical about those prayers. The, the, the truth of the matter is I'm just giving you the words to speak to Jesus. All right? I'm giving you the words to form your prayer, but you need to own it as yours. So I, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I'm going to start off the prayer, and then I'm just going to move into a time where I'm going to give you some phrases and you can pray it for the first time or the second time. Just pray it straight from your heart. So let me just start this prayer. If God, we want to tell you that we love you and want to follow you. 
And there's some folks in here, Lord, who, who want to tell you that they want to follow you. So if that's you, very simply, just repeat these phrases after me. God, I believe in you. Go ahead and say that. I believe you sent Jesus to die to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead and lives. And now I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I love you, God. Amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer, uh, I want to know so I can encourage you. I want to send you some material. So very simply, you can do this on the welcome cards. You can write your name and your email address. And I promise you, I'm not going to put you on a list. I'm going to send you one email. Send you some email about how you can take some steps to go deeper in that relationship. And I'll give you the offer. If you want to meet with somebody who can go that, through with that one-on-one, -on -one, I'll help you set that up. Because we believe it's important. Now, for all of us, this is what I think has to happen with a message like this. I think we need to do some of our own reflection, our own thinking, our own ask, asking and answering tough questions. So I'm going to put some tough questions on the screen. And the guys are going to sing a song. And, and during this time, this is your time to ponder the questions. Maybe you want to write down some notes, your answers. Maybe you want to just dwell on it um, and really wrestle with them. But here's the deal. If mercy triumphs over judgment and we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we're supposed to be the ones that live out what mercy triumphing over justice looks like because we've experienced it. So let's just spend some time reflecting on these questions. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.